Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. So how you doing, Vicar? I'm doing quite well. You know, we weren't on the, the Thanksgiving episode, so what are you thankful for? Oh, I, you know, I'm like I said in my Thanksgiving sermon, I'm thankful for all the Christians that God put in my path. Um, the ones that shared the gospel, the ones that called me to repentance, and the ones that taught me true things. Ah. Do you know, do you know what I'm thankful for? No. I'm, I'm thankful for uh, my local hair stylist because... Uh, <laughs> I'm reminding of what a fine job she does when I go somewhere else. Oh. So this is an example of the local one or the somewhere else one? That this I'm is an at? example of the somewhere else one. That's uh, That was my theory. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we're men, so, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it grows back and all that. <laughs> Yeah, a little, a little tight on the top. A little. Yeah, I think the 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 closely shaven sides uh, go pretty high up this time. Yep. Yeah. You could star in that movie, uh, Black Black Hawk Down. They they had haircuts yeah. like that. And this is a you know this is for someone like me this is a struggle you know. <laughs> uh, you know I like a good haircut. You know yeah. that. Well, yeah, you have to have one of those. So, <laughs> so yes, this is a cross I must bear. Uh. Yeah, for me, I just like kind of cheap haircuts, and so I go to some national chain, and they've got it in their database, what I wanted last time, and I say, right. yeah, do that again, and you know, here's my coupon. <laughs> yeah? Well, yeah, well, this is, this is sports clips right here. I don't go to sports clip. I had a similar experience. It's funny you named that one. It's one of the few places I went to one time and said, I don't really care for that, and didn't go again. <laughs> Anyways, so I, I am very thankful for my local... Uh, barber. Yeah. So. I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> I told Julie I wanted to look nice for the funeral right. tomorrow. Yeah. I don't think that anybody's going to pay too much attention to you, to, to your haircut tomorrow. Right. <laughs> right. When, when they say, oh, they did such a good job, they're not talking about my haircut. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's how you get people's honest opinion, right? Because they're, right. they're going to be swayed by your great appearance. <laughs> So, so what, what do you have for beverage there? Okay, I have something, a dark beer called a McGuire's Dra- uh, Draft Stout. And uh, Mrs. Vicker brought it home, so I'm not quite sure where she got it from. And I think it's kind of a, a Guinness clone. All right. <laughs> I'm going to try to open it. with Turn, this. turn around. There oh, you okay, go. Okay, I got it. There you go. That might work a little. There it goes. Yeah, it's amazing. So, I don't know how I ever Now, I have a show. question, like... You need a glass, don't you? I mean, you don't. You can't drink like a, a draft like that, oh, don't you? Need a little um, foam in there. This is where I'm going to pretend it's the mysterious way we do things over on the West Coast, and then you can't verify because you because oh. <laughs> you're not there. But oh yeah, this is what we do all the time, <laughs> as far as I know. So, <laughs> well, and and um, not to fit a stereotype, but you are Irish, right? So you kind of you know. Not as much as I thought, because I did one of those DNA tests, and I really was looking towards, oh, yeah, I'm going to be this huge amount Irish. It was like, I think, 13% is all. But six generations ago, of my patrilineal line, and I am named Patrick, um, he was full-blooded Irish. But apparently, he immediately married into the English, because I'm more like 80% English and only 13% Irish. 
Oh. So there it is. <laughs> there you go. You know, I don't have any English. Hmm. Yeah. It's all German and Norwegian and Polish. Well, if you had asked me before the advent of DNA testing what I was, I would have said German and I would have said American Indian. We had all these stories in my family about what we were and the DNA test, uh, you know, did a total Elizabeth Warren to me. I no American Indian whatsoever. So do you have to turn turn in your uh, scholarship money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I took a second DNA test because I had been told this oral history so convincingly that it startled me that I was just one of those stereotypical white guys that had supposedly had an American Indian ancestor th- four generations ago, and it wasn't true. It just wasn't true. <laughs> so how is it? Oh, it's good. I, like, like all of these... Um, regular dark stouts that are not barrel-aged, because barrel-aged ones are delicious and they're always good. I like these when they're very, very cold, and it's called Meguiar's here this time, and I like it very, very cold, and so the first portion of it that I drink is absolutely delicious. Then as it warms up in my hand, it starts to get more and more bitter, and so I kind of have to finish it uh, not as enthusiastically as I started it. So that's what I think of them. All right, and I've got my, uh, my, the one that I've been into lately, the sparkling-flavored coffee oh yeah sparkling water coffee flavored from one of the best grocery stores that i like is aldi yeah i this mcguire's may have come from aldi i'm not sure because that usually... sounds like an aldi because they, they'll take they'll take a they'll have a knockoff of like name brand beers right like they have a version of stella and they have a version of uh heineken and they <laughs> you know that's pretty good but it all comes it all comes from europe and I, sometimes i wonder how much of that is just like made in the same factory, but given a different label. Right. Probably. Right. I mean, when this with this being a Guinness clone, in my opinion, I, I mean, I don't know for sure that it could be Guinness. I don't know if Guinness would ever even risk a kind of a brand dilution like that, but it tastes like a Guinness. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, so before we get into t- talking about uh, the sermon and right. what we're preaching on, I want to, uh, I want to thank uh, my sister, Gretchen, for... Uh, putting together an episode with Peter. We've heard great response from it. Um, I've heard things like, wow, uh, she's so articulate, which makes me think, hmm, <laughs> what are they saying about me? <laughs> right, because it's about you. <laughs> You're catching on. <laughs> no, but uh, no, she did a wonderful job. In fact... Um, I want to dedicate this show to her. Peter, play the intro. My dear sister Gretchen, you have been a rock for me. So I knew when the Clerical Heirs podcast was in desperate need, you would step up when we needed you the most. And you did. It shouldn't surprise me, because you have handled not being mom's favorite child with such dignity and class. Look what happened, sister. I have now been replaced as mom's favorite by your three beautiful, overachieving children. I want you to know, my dear sister, that when I preached to the steer as a young boy, not cows, steer. Sorry, Iowa listeners. You were the inspiration. 
because you made me wrestle with the theological implications of animal salvation by forcing me to be a sponsor at the baptism of our dog, Happy. I preach to those steer because in this theological malaise, I simply didn't want America's food supply to suffer eternally. Gretchen, it brought me much joy and pride to consider the 80% of our listeners who had a panic attack by hearing the phrase, worship team. I stand with you, clerical heirs army. I had one too. Gretchen, I want to thank you for mentioning the day I empty my sinuses on a snow day. What looked like a plan to gross you out was really a cry for help. To quote Dwight Schrute, pediatric sinusitis is not a laughing matter, Jim. It affects millions of Americans every year. So Gretchen, this show is for you. For not only did you call a great American hero a twerp, you did the impossible. You made your job sound interesting. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> okay, I want to I want to say this. Like that last line I was very uncomfortable about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I I had to keep it in. It was funny. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I'm her little brother, obviously. Right. Yeah. It's important. Right. And, and, but everything I, shy of murder is gonna be okay when we're near your little brother. <laughs> <laughs> so Gretchen, this show is for you. Hey, um what are you preaching on, Vicar? Ah, the Olivet Discourse, one of my favorite parts of the entire Bible. Yes. You know what I noticed about this? This happens to every vicar. Okay. Like, when it is one of their favorite passages, it becomes the hardest one to preach. Right. I could see that. Because um, there's so many things in the text that they want to bring out. Right. And you got 15 minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I had that. I was on going on to the ninth page and i hadn't even got an ending yet when we did our review because i mean i needed to figure out how to not turn it into a 12 page lecture i remember i had one vicar who was going to preach the gospel reading and he was all worked up and he had so many ideas and so many things he wanted to bring out and he goes this is just way too complicated i can't preach this at all in the sermon and so he preached on the epistle he wrote (laughs) that's a that's a good idea i might have to steal that tactic (laughs) Oh, good. So explain the Olivet Discourse. Okay. So during Holy Week, uh, Jesus has just entered Jerusalem with his disciples uh, the day before, riding the donkey, making it obvious that he was the Messiah, intentionally fulfilling scripture. And he goes up to the temple to see it, tosses out the, the money changers and so forth. And he stays up there, gives a few lessons, observes the the widow putting her mites into the into the donation box. And eventually the disciples very optimistically are looking around at this giant temple building and how fancy it is and how beautiful it is. And they're commenting on it to Jesus. And he tells them this bombshell, right? This prediction that not one stone will be standing on another that will not be thrown down. And so he predicts the destruction of the temple. 
And then he discusses a whole bunch of signs that will uh, accompany these events. And then he uh, tells them that everything that he just said will come true within one generation. And then he also talks about the end times. And so that's one of the most famous end times portions of the Bible outside of Revelation. Right. Right. And which... uh... Which created a, a discussion, right? It did. <laughs> because yes. we, we do have a little bit of a difference in opinion on the text. Yeah, we do. Because when I read the discussion of the signs that he's talking about, the things happening in the, in the cosmos with the sun and the moon and, I, and the, uh, the famines and the wars and rumors of war, as far as I am concerned, which is a weird way to put it, he is still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And probably most controversially, I think he is still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem when he talks about uh, coming on the cloud with power and glory. Now, most people take that to mean he's describing his second coming, and I disagree. I think when he says, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, the word they, and then they, he is still talking about Jerusalem and the generation that will witness the destruction uh, of the temple. He's, uh, I'm convinced of it, that even though he uses the word cloud, which makes, it, makes us think of coming down from heaven, I think he's simply contrasting that when, he, when they experience the glorified Son of Man next time around, he will not be the lowly suffering servant being led like a lamb to the slaughter. He will be the glorified Son of Man coming with great power and glory, as if in a cloud of glory, such as the Old Testament references to clouds. Because the very uh, next portion of the pericope, he talks about, you know, when you see these things happen, straighten up, raise your head, because your redemption is drawing near. And then he tells a parable. And the parable is about being able to observe a tree and see when it is about to be summer. Because anybody could look at a tree and see the signs. So he's told them all the signs that will lead up to this event. And he compares it to looking at a tree that will uh, bloom in the summer. And so when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now, if I were the translator, that's where I would break the paragraph. Because I think until now, he has only spoken about the impending destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And then in the next verse, I think he starts a new topic because the next thing he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So you think that's the transition? That's where I think there's a new paragraph and a new topic because until then he has not talked about the end of the world. He's talked about the end of the temple system. Right. And so you you were placed in this conundrum, right? Yeah, because I can, now i got to preach on it right. with my minority opinion <laughs> and my integrity somehow. <laughs> Describe that, because obviously I, I mentioned to you, we talked about it, that, that I'm not quite there with the text. Right. Because I have trouble getting past the idea of, of Jesus appearing in glory and... Uh, you know, we talked about Acts 1, where he ascends into the clouds and then being told, in like manner, you will see him. Right. And then I, I have trouble with, um, as I looked at it myself a little more closely, with um, uh, when when Jesus talks about um, the heavens and the earth uh, being shaken, um, 
another but policy. what is coming to the world right is that that's kind of the inhabited world right civilization it, the greek word uh, oikomene could also be a reference to the roman empire according to the according to the um, what's the word I'm looking, concordance um but i guess a couple things about it one i think that the pericope is cut in a weird place it literally starts with the word, word uh, and, if you look at verse 25. Right. So we jump midstream into a conversation that is still resulting from them asking Jesus, after he tells them the temple will be destroyed and not one stone will stand on another, they say, what will be the signs of this thing? Like, when will this happen and what will be the signs? Right. He's answering that question. He's still answering that question. It's just that the in the ESV, for example, they make a, a break at the beginning of this pericope and they call it the coming of the son of man. So not inspired. That's just a heading. Right. That's just a heading. And they continue with midstream with the pericope and there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And I think that the, the implication is they don't think he's talking about the temple anymore. Whoever translated it. And most people don't think that I suppose, but I still think he's talking about the signs. Right. Right. And, And I would say this, I would say this, um, this is a, an example of, like I've had this, we talk about the prodigal son, mm-hmm. right? Um, where, where when you're preaching it, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, do you ever send an email? And like you thought, well, this is a difficult email. I'm going to write it today and I'm going to send it tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Right. This is such an interesting idea that I, I think it's good for you to kind of sit on it for a little while. It is. Right. Um, and, uh, and and you're, you're placing the conundrum because I disagree with that, <laughs> well, of course. And, I, and I'm trying. And by the way, I am taking honest, trying to. You know, I'm not trying to marriage it, and because it is it is a different something that I haven't right. heard before. Right. Um. And so, you know, I, I appreciate your your desire to really take not just take what everyone says it means, but taking a look at it yourself. Yeah. Right. Now, now I think that the biggest thing with this text is, um, you know, uh, what is meant by generations, you, you know, right. You know, I, I could see generation meaning, uh, it can mean all sorts of things. It could be, it could be Luther, I think would take it as talking about the generation of, of those who were killing him of, of the Jews. Right. Um, I mean, given the destruction of the temple in 70 AD with less, not quite 40 years after he said these words. Right. Because a generation is generally what? Yeah, about 40, 40 years. years. Is a right. Good way of thinking of it. Right. But I suppose this is how, how I, I, I kind of see it. And I, I told you this too, that, uh, that a lot of these prophecies, it kind of looks at the New Testament age as one time. Right, telescoping all of right. church history into the end times. Right, so so in a sense, what the prophets often do is they see the coming of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the, the coming in glory really as the one event. Right. Right. Because I do agree, we, we're in the end times right now when we have been. Right. Ever since the ascension. Well, I suppose the way I'm thinking now, I'd have to say ever since the destruction of the temple, because then... All the things that right. were predicted were fulfilled, and right. And we talked about perhaps from for me if if it is if there was like a type of the end times, right. And I think that's 
certainly possible that we could find a, that the way the end of the world comes about is an echo of the way right. the temple was destroyed. And and I would take when you see these things taking place, uh, you know, I would say that the, the beginning uh, taking place that this is where it it begins, it, not necessarily. So when you see the destruction, know that it's nearer, nearer. Right. So. Right. I on the comment about the generation in the Matthew account of this same part of Jesus's life. He has pronounced the seven woes on the scribes and the Pharisees, and he wraps that up by saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tomb of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in these in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of all the prophets. And then he condemns them as being, Clearly you are the descendants of the people that killed the prophets and the saints, and finalizes that portion with by saying that they this generation uh, all these things will come upon this generation the responsibility for the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Barakiah whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar truly I say to you all these things will come upon this generation and so again I think strong condemnation language on the people that were in charge in the that would be around within that generation would suffer the responsibility for all the shed blood and would suffer the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So listeners, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, give us your opinion, uh, theological opinion. There you go. But but going back to the sermon then, you know, that places you, I understand, in, in a difficult because you're trying to marriage your own... Yeah. Your own... Uh, yeah, integrity guess. with how you understand the text. Right. And also what having to keep the supervisor happy. <laughs> and, and I don't want to confuse anybody because uh, it's not, I could go as far, keeping my integrity intact, I can still admit that like I don't have to win anybody over to this argument to preach this text because I can preach the text that Jesus's words always come true, right? Mm-hmm. And his words never fail and we need not fear the end times or any calamity. Right. And that's how I will preach it. Because, you know, he does say, straighten up, raise up your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. I mean, that's that's gospel. So that is. So when you see, you know, I, I, when I hear this text, I often think of, of Iowa winter. And because it is amazing. Like every November, every November, everyone is so surprised that it gets cold. Right. (laughs) How can and this happen? they're surprised. Wow. You hear things like, it's getting dark so early. Like, <laughs> Compared to what? <laughs> right. It's like, <laughs> not this date last yeah. year. <laughs> it's just shocking. Yeah. It's, it, it's kind of like, you know, are you paying attention to the seasons? Yeah. Well, short memories. I think that's why we have a church calendar and we come to church every week and we have seasons because we have to be told the same things over and over. So so when Jesus says look at the fig tree, we can't just take that for granted. I mean, it, what a surprise. Right. Like that. we're surprised when winter comes. Imagine <laughs> when Christ comes, how surprised we'll be. Right. And yet we are yeah. to watch and pray and stay awake and be alert because this thing's going to come like a snare or right. a thief in the night. Uh, a look on your face will be priceless when <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so, uh so as you, you talk about the sermon, one thing I, I kind of mentioned as you, and I haven't actually seen 
the sermon. I thought we could just talk about this on oh, podcast, yeah, well, kill two birds, right? <laughs> yeah. How, how did that, I, I gave you the advice on that, that second part yeah. of, of kind of even just numbering them. I did number them. I had, I, I have four main points and of course the, it's over in front of you. The, the manuscript is so I don't know if I can remember them off the top of my you head. Want it? Yeah. I'll hand that over and I'll, all right. that way I can make sure I say it right. Because I, in the end, I say, here is the truth. Well, I'd say the second part, not the end. Here is the truth about the kingdom of God and the end times. And my main bullet points are number one, Jesus's predictions come true. Always. Everything he predicted about the destruction of the temple came true about 40 years after he predicted it. Then number two, and I will say that. I will say number one. I will say number right. two. The reason why is because you were worried about length. I was, yeah. And, and rather than... Um, Rather than try and take your points and having all this connective right. thought, it's like, well, how can I tie this part with this part? If you tie them with under the heading of this is what we learn from it, one, two, three, that's when I see the value of an outline because you know how I feel about outlines yeah, generally. Yeah, the, right? your outlines look like weird circles and clouds and not outlines. Because right. <laughs> sometimes out, you can be a slave to an outline right. where, where rather than have a nice flow of thought, it's like, well, we have point one, A, this, B, this, right. C, this, and then we learn this. Right. Like, you know, and that to me, as, as someone who views preaching more as an art. Right. That that, that to be, you know, fixated and, and st- confined to that kind of a rigorous structure kind of. Mm-hmm. The structure you, shines through rather than the message. Right. Right. Because we don't talk that way. No, we don't. We I, have a flow of right. thought. And and but at the same time, in a situation like this, when you have like these four main points and and trying to to tie them together in some way, you know, it, we people get lost. So you just take your points and enough for them. The first thing we learn, we also learn this, and and so for this application, it's wonderful, and it w- probably saved you a lot of words. It did, yeah, I and, was and clarified to... it. It was very helpful, and that way I. Um... And, and that way I can tell what I need to say and not get dragged down into trying to convince people that I've got a better way of understanding it than anybody else. Cause it's really not the point. I'm not trying to convince anybody that I'm trying to bring the gospel message to the topic of the end times, which people are very concerned about. And by the way, this, this exercise that you've been through with this text is an important one. Yes. Um, let me, let me tell you why. Okay. Because there are times when you're preaching a text and for me, it's it's maybe the parable of the unjust steward or something. You're right. Where I don't really can say with certainty that I fully grasp or understand it, and I have to preach it. Right. And you have to because the lectionary. Right. Right. Can't get out of it. Right. And you know, there not to say that I I might not preach epistle once in a while. <laughs> Time to preach from the Psalms. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I but I will say though, what what do you do? You, you preach what you know is true from the text. Right. Right? And, 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 and that's what you do. You don't try to kind of, of you want to be sure, and you are sure, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, but here I was asking you to dance around that. Well, a little bit. A little bit. I think it would be hard for people to hear the rest of the message if they just heard my argument for why right. I've understood it better than their their Lutheran study Bible understands it. And it was important for me not to just say, you're wrong, don't do that. Right, that would not because, be uh, Because you're taking the word of God seriously. You're wrestling That's it with true. yourself. And 
and that's what I want. That's what I appreciate. I don't want, I don't, I don't, I want you to, when you preach a text, to wrestle with it and to really don't just take someone's word for it. You learn the the Greek here so that you can see for yourself. Right. And, and that's what you were doing. And that's why I don't want to just say, no, you're wrong. <laughs> and that's why I appreciate your opinion, even though I don't agree with it. Yeah. Right. Well, I, and I knew that I was safe to talk to you because of your minority opinion on a, on the prodigal son parable, that you were willing to look at a well-known, well-beloved, supposedly very well understood piece of scripture <laughs> and challenge it based on, uh, based on looking at the text for all that it was worth, not based on just what you've heard your whole life. Right. And right. I, what did you say? I, I took the prodigal son. You can't give me this one. <laughs> That's right. You owe me one because you upended my view of the prodigal son parable. And now I, so you have to seriously consider my view of the Olivet Discourse. And I am I am considering it. <laughs> I know you are, and I appreciate that a lot. And I knew you would, which is why I was not just kind of suffering alone in my little vicar office right. toiling away. Right. Because I, I knew that that uh I I knew that in some circumstances that that could be a point of contention. It can be an, like an argument or something mm-hmm. even. And that's in a lot of places it can be that way because we do get personally attached to it. Like this text, right. when you you look at this text and, and as you, you consider it, it means so much to you. It does. It's my favorite. Right. <laughs> right. That I, I, you know, you care so much about God's word. That I'm not going to trample that. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to respect, you know, the work that you've put in. And oh, so, good. and so I, I uh, um, and so by doing that, I asked you to preach a text um, that kind of dances around that a little bit. Just a little, but it's very doable because of the gospel message. Yeah, because ultimately good. the main points that you would preach to the people, what they need to hear in the pew, doesn't really change that much. No. And I also wanted you to use this as an opportunity with your background. Right. Uh, you know, because you have uh, a, a millennialist background. I do, yep. I was raised learning dispensational millennialism, although I didn't know I had that name at the time. And, and so you, because you lived in that world and you understand that world, you know, there are people getting bombarded with some of those ideas that they need to hear. They do. And, and the fact that you came from that background, you have a way of, of talking about it that I wouldn't understand because I haven't been in that world. Yeah. That was the only one I knew. I didn't even know other, that any Christian believed anything different. Because, because you, know, you know what's attractive about that teaching. Right? Yeah, I do. You know why it's fascinating. You know why what 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 grabs people in that and brings them in. So you're the perfect one to say, <laughs> well, I know also how unhelpful it is as well. Right. Right. And I know the key mistake that's being made, which I will bring out in this the sermon. But I if I could, I'd like to finish my numbers. Oh yeah, number sorry one. About that. No, it's okay. We went off. We need so, an outline. Yeah, I got to have an outline. I I was an engineer. So number one, Jesus's predictions come true. And number two, the correct view of the kingdom of God is that we live in it right now because Jesus is king right now. So we're not waiting for that uh, kingdom to happen. Number three, we know that heaven and earth will pass away. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, as the scripture said. And that's pretty much related to the first point because... Jesus' predictions come true, and he said the heaven right. is going to pass away. Right. I make it a separate point. And this is what faith does. This is Faith does, we talked about this with the prophets too, where the prophet, when it predicts the, the, the coming of Christ, right. or the, the Savior, or 
the, the kingdom, uh, a prophet speaks as, as though it's already happened. Right. Even though the, the prophet will never see it in their lifetime, because God said so, it's real for them right. at that moment. And so as a Christian, because Christ promised it, and because his word doesn't pass away, all these things is now our present reality as though it is today because Jesus' word said so. It's right. And in fact, point number four, Jesus' words will never pass away. And that's where I bring in a lot of gospel points of all the wonderful things Jesus said that we can rely on because they are true right now, because Jesus' words create reality, just like when he— was at creation and through him and for him, all things were created. And so. by the way, this is, as, as a, a pastor, I, I will say this is one thing that, that really helps people. If you're, if you're confronting sin or confronting hard things in the Bible, and you say, if, if your church or your pastor is willing to be honest with you when it's something hard or difficult, uh, then you know when he's talking about your forgiveness hmm. that he's he really means that too. He's not mincing words, right? You know, if if your pastor is willing to say that's sin, even times where it's uncomfortable to hear that, when he says your sins are forgiven, then it, it create, creates a trust in your word. It's not like oh, you just say this to everyone. You're just trying, trying to make people feel good or something, well, right? No. <laughs> Right, and so I think that can that probably will come out in your sermon, hmm. where if Jesus is going to be honest about the destructions stuff, right, and and uh, and the horrible things that are going to happen to this world, don't you think he's going to be honest with us when it comes to the other side of that, the goodness, because uh, we talked about this too, didn't we? That then we look at the horrible things of those end times or the destruction of the temple. Right, right, right. Um, that it's easy to think that uh, the kingdom of God is the consolation prize, right? Where, where in a sense, everyone, most people lose, most things are <laughs> destructed, yeah. And then here you have the consolation prize, the, the prize, a handful of Christians, survivors, right. yeah, right, the remnant, and it's and everything turns out okay in the end. So, so you could accidentally do a sermon that was all doom and gloom for nine pages and then tack on the end, but Jesus made it okay. Right. <laughs> right. I, I told you that you had to match. You did. I, I, I tried. Equal time. <laughs> Equal time. When you, when you preach hard judgment of God, you have to give it, you have to preach the gospel as hard. Um, all right. That's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, and that's where it winds up. Jesus's words will never pass away. That's point number four. And I definitely end on the gospel here. So, so uh, yeah. Um, although I actually haven't seen this final version yet. Oh, you haven't. Okay. Well, yeah. It's down to seven pages. I, I was going to look at it, but then I started making a dedication. To my uh, yeah. You got to prioritize. <laughs> it's not, there might not be a tomorrow. So you got to do the right. You imagine something happened to me. Right. And I never, never made that dedication to my oh, sister. Your poor sister. Right. She probably couldn't go on. <laughs> I still feel bad about that last line. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I like to say we should live like there's no tomorrow <laughs> as I preach the end times. <laughs> All right. So we have a top 12 list. We do. Peter, play the intro. 
Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Now, this is more, uh, this is less theological, right? Yeah, it's not theological, I don't think. It's just fine. This is a podcast. We can do whatever. We had plenty. Of- right. I mean, I could make it theological. This is about being a good steward of the gifts that God gave you. Let me put it that way. And it's, it's also good to just, uh, you know, we think of of uh, the time of the year, Thanksgiving. Yep. The holidays, as we cookies. say. Cookies and pies and... and uh, Stout beer and... New Year's resolutions <laughs> and going to the gym for two or three days after New Year's and then never going again. <laughs> so what is your top 12 list? My top 12 dieting tips because I have been overweight virtually my entire life. Doctor told me that when I was in the fourth grade. I needed to worry about that. And uh, he turned out to be a prophet. <laughs> he knew my end. <laughs> no, anyway, and I did. I spent most of my adult life and I'm, I'm in my low 50s and I spent it overweight up until just a couple of, uh, well, really just a year ago. Just a year ago, I finally uh, lost it. And so I have my top 12 dieting tips. And I guess maybe the consolation for the listeners is that I did lose weight, and these are the things that I concern myself with. And uh, I would like uh, Hannah, who is a, a sp- tr- tr- specialized... A nutritionist or dietitian? I can't remember. Yeah. She's a specialist, though. Right. So uh, maybe, uh, Hannah, if you're listening, I know you're busy teaching your children yeah. and uh, all those. If you want to add uh, and, and put your two cents in as an expert... Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I think she's going to upend a couple of what I say, but I'm just telling you what worked for Vicar. So <laughs> she did, you know, I've been eating a lot of a- eggs again, thanks to her. Oh, good. Yeah, so that's a- <laughs> all right. All right. Number 12 measure your weight. Kind of obvious, but you can't even get started on a program or a plan unless you know what your beginning point is. So um, I think sometimes when I've started diets, I was too. Uh, anxious about what the scale was going to tell me. And so I kind of wanted to start the diet like for a while. And then when I thought I had cleaned up my act a bit, then I would get on the scales for a better, you know, I conceived it as a better starting point. Nah, just get on the scales. Uh, That's where you got to start. You got to know where you're starting from. So definitely measure. All right. How about this? I will have a theological lesson after each one. Oh yeah. If you can do that, go for it. Okay. So this also then is, I would say, use God's law as a mirror. Okay. So you may know where you are and repent. <laughs> I was... t- t- take a step on uh, the the theological scale of looking at the Ten Commandments daily, right? Right. See where you stand. You might be afraid to step on that scale. Yep. But, I mean, that's what using God's law as a mirror, that is what it means to be, have your old Adam drowned. Hmm. So... Well, that's good. I actually have heard this phrase, you don't get cleaned up to take a bath. And it was maybe in reference to baptism. Like you don't come to God already, okay, I quit this and that, and now I'm good, and now I've dealt with this. Right. Now I'll get saved. No, you don't get cleaned up to take a bath. Right. And and, uh, part part of the process of burying the old Adam is, you know, there there are those who say the law gospel of doesn't it only speaks of you know it doesn't create the change it's it's all just dealing with the sins of the past but i don't i would wholeheartedly disagree with that because if if you are using god's law as a mirror and confessing your sins 
and 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 realizing the sins of the past are buried. You can't do that with and then still be willfully seeking to continue to do that. Right. There's a lesson. Number 11. Write it down every week, but don't measure it more often than that. But you do you want to record it. Like you want a record of where you've been. So when you weigh yourself, don't just try to keep it in your head or whatever. Um, I feel like pe- you can use wishful thinking if you're not actually recording. So do you actually t- write a note? Like if it's up, why it might be up or. Well, I've got a whole spreadsheet. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have a spreadsheet on anything in my life. <laughs> no, I got a whole spreadsheet that shows how much I lost that week, this past week. And what's my BMI uh, body mass index and wh- how much have I lost in total? And right. a little note to the side about maybe what I was doing that day. So, okay, I, I, it's crazy. But yes, write it down. The, I'm sorry. I, the The stuff I write down every day is not my weight. I, I'll get to that. But the weight I write down once a week, if you take it like every day, you'll be so frustrated. Mm-hmm. It, we, our weights go up and down like for just weird biological reasons. So I, I really discourage you, anyone listening to weigh yourself every day. Just don't do it. All right. The theological point is this. Okay. All right. So... Uh, the pinnacle of, of each week is a kind of the weigh-in, right? Right. Like what happens before and after. Like what you do that week is in preparation for what happens that one day a week. And then yeah. what happens that one day of the week then affects how you, you enter into the be- beginning of the next week. It does. So the theological point is like the, the rhythm of the, the sacramental life. Right. Of baptism where the pinnacle of the week is gathering her with God's people in his house, receiving the forgiveness of sins from the mouth of Christ, the body and blood from Christ. And all the things you do during the week is an effect from that and preparation for that moment. That's a good one. Number 10. Reduce calories. All right. I mean, I know that's obvious, but the point of emphasizing Reducing calories is so that you don't make the mistake of thinking that you can outrun your bad diet. In other words, you can't just add exercise to your life and expect to be successful because the bad diet, I can put calories down my throat like 500 calories in 10 minutes or something, maybe even five minutes. But uh, to burn off that many calories is hours. Right. Yes. Uh, I, I don't mean to explain science to you, Vicar, <laughs> but I would call it the the law of thro- thermodynamics. It, it is. <laughs> right. Because when you think about it, a lot of times they say, "Well, if you just eat eat no carbs, then maybe that's in your list." I don't know. Uh, we'll get to some of those. That the fact that oh, you can just cut out carbs and you can eat whatever you want, but I mean, it's still calories. It is. And so you still, like, your body doesn't change the law of thermodynamics. It doesn't. It's conservation of energy, and you're absolutely right. So really it is about, I would say, more about calories. and then It is. Yeah, like you need a calorie deficit, and it's difficult to accomplish a calorie deficit if you don't reduce calories, and you just think, well, I'll increase activity, or I'll cut out carbs. And I might actually get to that later. But um, at any rate, if you just cut this or that, or increase, but you're you're looking for a calorie deficit, and the best, most efficient way to do that is to reduce the calorie intake. It's very difficult to burn them fast enough to to make a difference in your life. Okay, I will. I have to do my theological. Oh yeah, go ahead. All right. So I am going to go with this. Uh, don't 
I'm going to go with an ex operato where you think, well, just going to church mm. without actually taking it to heart. There you go. Right? I yeah, I did my thing. I went through the exercise of going to church. Nice. But I actually haven't taken the word of God to heart. Yeah. And so just because your buns are keeping the seat warm <laughs> doesn't mean you're getting everything out of it by applying God's word by, you know. Right. So so there's a process in that. There is. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't want to downplay, obviously, important that you go to church, right? It's important. Right. But also, there's a. it's important to prepare yourself for, for church. Right. You know, prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper. And that's all meaningful, too. Yeah, I, I like it. Number nine. So diets that are focused on carbs or low fat or increasing the protein, one of the macronutrients, they might be all right. They might even be helpful in some ways, but still, calorie reduction is still key. So maybe your doctor has told you that you ought to reduce a macronutrient, say you need to eat less fat or you need to decrease, maybe it's sodium, and you should listen to the doctor. But if if your goal is weight loss, simply restricting or which one of the macronutrients that you normally consume, and of course that's fat, protein, and carbohydrates, and fiber is kind of a calorie-less carbohydrate in this case. At any rate, that's not going to necessarily do the trick. I mean, I could switch to an all-protein diet and gain weight as long as I eat enough of it. Right. Um, Now, it can be helpful. I happen to be diabetic, and so I do reduce carbs for that reason. But strictly speaking, that's not for weight loss. So um, I don't know how you're going to turn that one theological. All right. All right. Yeah, because I was paying attention to what you're saying. I'm not... Oh, well, Say say it one more time. Okay, so... Diets for weight loss cannot simply reduce a macronutrient. You can't just go low fat or sugar-free or high protein. Uh, If you do that, it might be helpful for other health reasons, but it's not going to get you to the necessarily to the overall goal of weight loss. Okay, I got it. Okay. My theological point that I want to make with that is this. Don't think you're just going to be spiritually fed by watching a service on YouTube. Perfect. Because <laughs> you've substituted one thing for another. Right. But. But the gathering together, there's so much more involved. Right. With that. So simply doing that one thing. Ah, that's a stretch. I don't it's know. It's a bit of a stretch, but it's, it won't make up for uh, the overall discipline in your life that you should be having to it by, oh, okay, I'll substitute in a whole bunch of YouTube preacher videos. And uh, that'll be why I don't go to church, something like that. Right. Because <laughs> you can watch preachers on YouTube. That's that's a could be a, a fine exercise. Depending. Yeah, depending on which one <laughs> and what her name is. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. Exercise. It's very, very helpful. So even though I just said that your main goal is to reduce calories through what you're intaking, exercise is very helpful because... It increases your metabolism if you keep exercising. Mm -hmm. And so you will burn more calories even in your inactive times if you get yourself into better shape. So I I think exercise, uh, repeated, continuous exercise is a gift that keeps on giving. And you know how I feel about strength training. Yeah. uh, Yes. And and I thought you might weigh in on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Have you found that helpful, like the the weight aspect of... So actually weightlifting? I think so, yeah, because... It's, uh, 
it has a way of burning a lot of calories pretty efficiently, even though we say that you can't outrun a bad diet, but nevertheless, combining them is powerful. And uh, it makes me sleep better at night, which I think is overall helpful for any type of a health health plan. And and this is why I, 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 I like lifting weights too, is if you're, for me, it's, it's not just, if your diet, I think of it not just as losing weight. I think of it in terms of body composition. Right. Right. So for example, um, I've been told by a doctor, well, it not actually told where they, you know, how the doctor hands you a sheets of paper. Oh yeah. Right. It's like, oh, you know, we did this measurement. You're this tall. You weigh this much. Right. And uh, saying that I was obese. <laughs> Your BMI was above. Right. Because of my I weight. I the number, but 30, I think. Because of my weight and my height. Well, if you're this tall, you should weigh less than this. Right. You know, because I find, you know, I told you earlier, I'm 50 pounds heavier than I was right. at the seminary. Right. <laughs> but I don't think that I'm obese. No, you're not. I mean, according to the BMI, you probably are, which the body mass index is only predicated on your height and your weight. Nothing else. Right. Right. So it's silly in that way. Right. So that point is, is one thing about the the weightlifting is even if you are, are weightlifting and you're getting stronger, but you're staying the same weight. Right. You're way healthier. Right. Your pants size could go down or you're, and you're way healthier and you can do more work than you used to be able to do without getting exhausted. And like I said, I sleep better when I yeah, have exercise. Probably better for your lipid profile. Oh yeah. Probably better for all that, the lipid profile and heart strength, longevity, so it has a lot of benefits, but strictly speaking, if you were going to just try to step onto the scale and see a lower number, um, then exercise can't be the the one thing you're doing. You, you've got to do some more, but it is super important for lots of other reasons to do with health and it does help you lose weight too. Okay. So what's theological about making sure that you get exercise along with your calorie reduction diet? All right. So, um, as a Christian, I mean, we exercise. Yeah. So it's important to stand during the prayer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and bow. Bow, yeah. All those. Uh, Roman deadlifts, I call them. <laughs> Should we genuflect? And... <laughs> That's pretty um, good. No, but I, I would say, say this is uh, um, taking not only the, the themes that we talk about in church, but there is times for also reproach and to uh, uh, exhort people as you've given them the word, like we did recently. Uh, it's, it's one thing to talk about loving your neighbor, but then to say, who is it that needs your forgiveness? Right. That, that, that uh, not just talking about it, but going through the exercise of seeking to forgive, right. restoring relationships, uh, giving them the forgiveness that God has given to you. So, so, so not just dealing on how you're being fed. Ah, right. Got it. Good one. Yep. But, uh, but also how you are exercising that as a, in your vocation and your life. There you go. That's brilliant. Number seven. Find a diet buddy. And this was probably one of my favorite tactics. Um, even 13 years ago, one of the other times I lost weight in my life and sadly put it all back on, the first thing I did was start a diet challenge with my coworkers. 
and we would weigh in once a week and we would compare numbers. And it turned out one of my buddies was putting it all in a spreadsheet for years before I realized he was doing that and <laughs> tracking me, but which is kind of where I picked up the, the spreadsheet habit later. But, um, and what I did, what it does is it, it builds intentional peer pressure. And I find if I tried to lose weight kind of secretly, then it was way too easy to just quit because who there was no one to criticize me or or encourage me because no one knew that I was even trying to increase the discipline in my life. So I find a, I, I tend to be the leader of diet programs and get other people involved with me because then I have to perform because if I don't, I'm not just letting down myself, but the people that that I pulled right. into my little circle. And I must say, I, I do. I'm the master of applying peer pressure for yes, weightlifting. You are the master. So for the exercise, I said diet buddy, but I guess you need an exercise buddy too. <laughs> I, I don't like. I say, oh, I don't force you to lift weights. No, you, you don't force me to be on the Clerical Errors podcast. <laughs> But uh, but I think that that one's a pretty easy uh, theological topic or practical. Right, right. There's a reason why we are called the body of Christ. Yes. We are not individual members. We are individual members, yes, but part of the body of Christ. We are. You, you are a finger cannot live apart from the body. A branch cannot live apart from the vine. If you're thinking in an America context that my life of faith is just about me and God. I'm mm-hmm. a spiritual person. Ugh. I don't like a religious organization. All that is saying is, is I can be a part of the body without being a part of the body. Right. And it, that doesn't work. And so uh, we need the encouragement of mm-hmm. others. And when you go to church, I mean, we talk about uh, the internet thing, right? Yeah. You not only do you go to church for yourself, right? And, you know, when people say I didn't get anything out of the service today, that's that's something that's less about what the service, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's more about, <laughs> right? But I would I would say um, you're also there in church, not just for yourself, but you're also there for others, right? And if you don't go to church, it's like you're telling the other people, I don't need you, and you don't need me. And uh, that's not how the body of Christ is supposed to function. Number six. This will be an interesting challenge for you, I think. So better have your thinking cap on. All right. Shop the edges of the grocery store because that's where you find the fresh produce and the dairy and the fresh meat. So by shopping the edges of the grocery store, you're not going to the store to buy food and then accidentally coming home with nothing but packages (laughs) because packages of highly processed food product uh, are not as healthy for you as getting the the fresh groceries that are lining the edges of the store. So that's... All right. I will say this. Um, Desire the pure spiritual milk. I love it. That's a good one. Yep. Uh, When we think of, 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 of our, our life in Christ and how we're fed, you know, Jesus tells you exactly what feeds you, his body and blood. Go, he commands baptism. Uh, he told his disciples, you forgive someone their sins, they are forgiven. He gives us the real hmm. good meat. And we might think that the prepackaged, the, the, the bright, the shiny, mm-hmm. I bought a bag of potato chips simply because uh, it said in big words, crunchy, and there were bright colors on it. Yeah. And I admitted that to the checkout girl. Yeah. 
you know, who was really interested in your right. opinion on that package. Right. <laughs> what did, and so you, that, that was not on the edges, right? No. And that didn't really feed me like it should. That's right. You will never get full eating, eating something with no nutrients in it. So what happened? Uh, I, uh, I walked by the, the really good healthy stuff mm-hmm. for something that was not as healthy. Right. I think we could uh, compare this to our kind of non-denominational brethren. They're, they're like sacrament free and you go to their services and it's almost like attending a business meeting at work combined with a, with a concert. So things you could have gotten somewhere else because they're, they're not the fresh. And, and but then there's also another side of this too, is, is we think that you're bearing, we, and this is typical in Lutheran okay. ideas, right? Where, um, Rather than pure spiritual food of really getting deep into what Jesus says and wrestling with it, right? Right. I think a lot of times we're happy with ensure. This does the trick. Right. Um, uh, this will keep me alive. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that my sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. That's all I need to know. Right. I'll stick to the ensure. <laughs> That'll ensure me that I'm going to heaven. Right. I mean, that's what, honestly, that's what I think sometimes keeps people away from church. Right. Like, I know oh, what yeah. I'm going to hear. Yeah. You know, I know Jesus died for me, so right. I know where I stand. I don't need to. Well, as a Calvinist, it kept me out of church because for me, salvation was a state of mind that I already had procured. And so there became a pointlessness to praying or going to church because everything was just a known final condition from for the elect from before time began. And I didn't have to do anything in particular. It, it didn't matter anyways. God had already decided. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and until finally the fear set in that like, well, how can I know for sure I'm one of the elect? So it didn't really have any more comfort than the Arminianism that I had been raised in because I still couldn't know. Right. And couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> right on. Number five. Read the label because you want to know what is in the food that you are eating. Uh, I'm not saying that that means you could never eat a particular thing or not, but you it's uh, you ought to be examining it and making sure you know what's in it so that you can make a conscious decision over whether it's okay for the at this moment to have 40 grams of, of added sugar. Maybe sometimes that's fine, but you need to know that that's what you're doing. Uh, for example, do you have a... I mean, I think oh, this has got an obvious theological right. connection, so I just stopped because I, I thought you were bursting at the seams. No, yes, <laughs> I think this is... You talk about uh, reading the label. Uh, look at... Uh, for example, what's teaching your children? Mm, Who's okay. teaching your children? Uh, read the label. Understand all the different influences that there are, um, and uh, and to realize the good shepherd is the only one that really uh, promised who was the one that died for you. So you can mm-hmm. trust what he gives you. And to I would say my example being reading the label is then is to be very in tune to all the influences in the life of you and your family, Ooh, read like the label and, and see what is really going on around you and all the influences trying to pull you away from Christ. I like that. And I, so yep. read with everything, read the label, know what's going on, know what's behind things. Right. And know the doctrines that someone is trying to teach so, you. So reading the label means you have to know the catechism. You do. <laughs> right? Yep. So that, were you thinking I was going to go in a different direction? I thought it was going to be like the Bereans who studied the word of God to make sure that what Paul was telling them was accurate. 
uh, which oh. I think is applicable as well to this. That, which is a, kind of the same thing too, in the sense of uh, reading the label, knowing what's being told is true, is also you know the congregation. If a pastor is not preaching the word of God, right, then the congregation should do something about it. They absolutely should. And to do that, they have to know the the gospel they have, or the the Bible, the catechism, and the catechism. Yep. Yep. There you go. Catechism is very handy for people who don't want to read 1,500 pages of the Bible. Right. (laughs) Number four. Discipline is more important than inspiration because your feeling of being inspired to do something, your optimism about a a weight loss program you're about to start, you're probably not going to feel that on day three. By day three, uh, the the kind of momentum that you have at the excitement of starting this is going to fade. And if you're especially if you're getting on the scale every day, which I really don't think you should, but if you are, you're not going to see immediate results and you're going to get discouraged. So instead, resolve to be disciplined and don't wait for inspiration. Don't say, well, I don't feel good today, so I'm not going to really write anything down or pay attention to the labels. Uh, Stick to the discipline. Do things even though they're difficult because uh, otherwise your diet will only occur uh, with your mood swings, which won't end up being a weight loss diet at all. And the theological is this, okay? Um, emotionalism is enough, isn't enough to feed your faith. You need the word of God. There you go. Because we go, we might go through highs and lows. And if you're, you view your faith as being one centered in emotion, when you're feeling great, oh, I love God so much, everything's go going well. When you feel down, you're gonna say, "Go, is God far from me?" Right. And and it is the word of God, the steady confession by which that holds you. And so the focus. On, on worship, for example, is feeding what you really need. It's not necessarily there to create an emotional high. That will not sustain you. It might right. make you feel better that day, but that will be exhausting to try and yes. keep that feeling up all the time because it is a word of God, the steady word of God that is true, whether you're feeling good that day or bad that day sustains you. Yeah. The fact that Jesus feeds you his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins is what stains you. And you might have a day where you're going to the Lord's Supper and you're not very emotional, and uh, but that that's okay. Yeah, Jesus is feeding you. Yeah, it just could be seem like a mundane, normal Sunday, right? But at the same time, that is what what feeds you and sustains you. You know, when you're dealing with someone at the end of life issue times, right? Mm-hmm. When you deal with someone at end of life times, what is it? It is a pure spiritual food that they've received their whole life tr- through, that in that very emotional time and their fear, what is it? It's it's not the emotions. It's what did God say? What did God and do? And what is it yep. you know? You spent your life learning this. Yeah. Um, that you don't have to fear death, and and they don't because uh, in many cases, because um, they, are, they, they have all sorts of emotions, but it's yeah. the word of God and the promise that, that they are holding on to. Right. And like I'm going to say on Sunday, Jesus's words never pass away. And they remain true because when he speaks them, they create reality. It doesn't matter if you feel it or you don't feel it a particular way. Uh, It remains true because we can point to something outside of ourselves, the word of God, and say, this is true, regardless of my feelings. Number three. Weight loss takes time. Kind of a lot of it. So you're going to want to establish goals, like a long-term goal, and some intermediate goals, like maybe you want to get down a shirt size, or you want to uh, get your uh, another notch in your belt, so to speak, another hole cut in it, in other words, so that you can pull it tighter. Um, so uh, set up some intermediate goals, 
but you have a goal because you will not trend towards your desired destination if you haven't established a goal. Because I think the way we behave as people is, uh, well, you know, I, I lost two pounds and then I gained one and, you know, maybe that's good. I mean, because if you, if you don't have a goal, you'll move the target to right. be just wherever you're at. It's good enough. All right. I will say my theological point with this is the importance of the church year. The yeah. church year is always looking ahead. It's always moving forward. We're in the, the time of Advent, right? Right. And what are we doing? As soon as and when you're in Advent, you're, you're looking forward to the coming of Christ. You're preparing for it. You're getting ready. And then after that, you get to Easter, you get to that moment, and as soon as, or Christmas, excuse me, as soon as Christmas is done, what happens? You're, you're in Epiphany, and then mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're moving towards him being manifest, making himself revealed to everyone and, and to the world. And then you're moving uh, into pre-Lent, where you're mm-hmm. getting ready for Lent and, and, and reading, getting ready for that penitential and learning time. And then when you get into Lent, what are you getting ready for? You're getting ready for... Good Friday, getting ready for Easter. You're preparing. Mm. You're looking ahead. You're repenting. You're you're setting aside the alleluias uh, in preparation for your life and your salvation, and looking ahead to the glory of of Easter. And then what what happens after Easter? Then there's a movement again. Mm. You, you, it's, it's it's never like it's always moving. It always has a goal. It always has a point. You're always working towards something, mm. and that's why a good uh, a good uh, church year calendar is in a circle. Right. I like because those. it keeps moving. It keeps looking forward. It never ends. You're in this cycle that always is going. You're always moving. You're always looking forward. You're always challenging. You're always hearing God's word in, in, in a different way. And and you're always following Christ along in this journey from, which is why the church year begins with the coming of our Lord Jesus and it ends with the coming of our Lord Jesus. It's a cycle. Yeah. Number two. I think this one might be subjective, but maybe the listeners that disagree with this one can can get back to us. But dieting, weight loss dieting is work. And what I mean by that is it should be treated the way you go to work. You, uh, It's not a hobby necessarily. It's not necessarily joyful. But at work, I can be happy. I've been happy at work many times. But if you treat it like work, then you will be more effective at dieting because psychologically, you won't be uh, hanging your hat on whether the experience is fun or not, because we go to work whether it's fun or not. We go to work whether it's a, a sunny day or a rainy day. I mean, we we don't terribly often make excuses to not go to work, and the dieting should be the same way. There are scheduled days off. If you want to hit a holiday like Thanksgiving and say, I am not counting calories today, well, then don't count calories that day because that has become part of your work plan. And don't beat yourself up over it. That was just part of your work plan. But treat it like work with kind of a, something of a schedule, something of a routine, and not base it on whether that moment makes you happy or or not. It's just something you're getting done. It's it's related to the discipline, but but I mean, set it up with some routine, and that's how I do it. All right, I will... I will uh... Lots, that's, it would be hard to to make that one and be Lutheran. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. I have decided type of thing. <laughs> right. No. You use the word work a lot. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's even better. Um, but I will say this. I, I will put it this way, okay? Uh, the Christian life is a life 
in the cross. Mm-hmm. And so you will have times where, uh, where you will suffer. You will have times where uh, the gold in you will be refined. Mm. And, uh, but in the midst of it, what's happening? God is bringing you, making you stronger. And there is no uh, kingdom without the cross. Jesus made that clear. He took a cross to bring the kingdom. And so sometimes the Christian life and bearing the cross isn't supposed to be fun yeah. and playtime. And there is a life where you bear the cross too. Um, and that's okay. And and so rather than using the work aspect, I'm using the work, replacing that with the cross. And, right. and that that uh, we have we are children of the cross and we bear a cross just like our Lord Jesus did. And so the, the point of a Christian is not to necessarily be all happy all the time. Right. And, and uh, it's not always, the exercise of repentance isn't there to be fun necessarily. Right. That's a good point. And so, so, but I don't want to call it work because it isn't. It's, no. it's your life in Christ. Right. It's, it's the it's cross. Right. So I, so I think the point kind of is the same in that way. I yeah. replace the work with the cross, but. Sure. No, it's a, it's a good an, uh, analogy of sorts. And then. Um, I think there was something else I was going to say about that before I moved on. Um, I think I wanted to talk a little bit about what I said about being like a, a routine with a plan and you, a plan can have the exceptional days to it. Like I said, Thanksgiving was a day I didn't count calories because I planned it that way. Um, what you have to watch out for is how easy it is to have everything be the exception. And the examples are I'm traveling so I'll eat whatever I want. I have out-of-town visitors. It's a holiday. It's the weekend. And here's a big one. I'm tired. And now I'm going to eat something out of a package instead of eating what I ought to. Or or I'm tired, so I don't want to bother writing the things down that I normally write down. If you aren't careful with your dieting work plan, pretty soon uh, everything is the exception rather than the rule. And I, I would I would say this when it comes to temptation. You know, it's it, it's kind of interesting how all the excuses you gave is basically all the excuses we give for sin. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. Imagine standing before the Almighty God on the last day, yeah. rather than trusting on on the righteousness of Christ. If you said, "I'm sorry, God, for my sins. I was tired." Ugh. Yeah. You know, or you'd say, "At least I'm not like uh, uh, my cousin Bill." <laughs> yeah. You know that we the, all the excuses that we make. The what aboutism? What about Bill? <laughs> right. Right. So. Uh, Rest in Christ rather than trust in in the excuses that yeah. that you give because excuses will be unending. Right, you don't want to stand before God, uh, counting on your own works. Every uh, every day has its own struggle, and every day you can find excuse for every sin you want to do. <laughs> yes, there you go. All right, that that was sort of a, uh, a side halfway note. between two and one. So and number one. Virtually any diet plan works. And so you need to just pick the one, and it can be a nationally branded one that's famous like Weight Watchers. The Dukin diet, as far as I'm concerned, works. Um, The South Beach diet, paleo diets, ones that you make up yourself and just count calories, they all basically work because it's really... The challenge for you as the listener that wants to lose weight is to pick one of those plans that you feel like sticking to because it is more of a mental mind game than the physical. Um, your, the, your physical body will follow your, 
the decisions that you were making mentally about your weight loss. But so with the, the, the myriad of weight loss plans, pick the one that works for you. That's what I'm saying, which I think is going to be interesting for how you're going to turn that theological. All right. It's really easy, actually. Oh, okay. So, oh, you could be a Buddhist. No, uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> the, the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdom of physical fitness. There is only one way. There you go. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the world of dieting, perhaps, there are many different ways to travel to the same place. There is. When it comes to salvation, there remains only one. Right. That is through Jesus Christ. Amen. That was easy. You thought that was going to be well, hard. Well, I mean, you kind of made an opposite point of mine, which is good. I just didn't <laughs> know that you could do that. That was a, that's of a good... Of course now I can. It's my podcast. New trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but honestly, one last word about that. Uh, they, they work switch between them when when you get to where you're making too many excuses for the low carb thing if that's what you happen to be doing then switch to a calorie counting one if you're doing a calorie counting one and you get tired of that then switch to something else that has more exercise or or whatever just do the one that you feel like doing and uh, don't get bogged down making something work that has zero appeal to you or you've burned it out and you don't want to do it that way but but just you don't you don't want to quit you want to recognize oh well I didn't do as good as I wanted to during this period of time but where would you have been if you didn't do it at all? You know, I gain weight if I'm not working on it. I gain it as the status quo. And I think a lot of people do. So uh, so celebrate the times when you just didn't get any worse or you got worse much slower than you used to be getting worse. Um, and switch it up. If, the, if a diet plan stops appealing to you, find another one. If you stick to it, whichever one you pick that results in a calorie deficit, you will lose weight. All right. Uh, you make it hard for me to finish this episode on a theological point. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't have. I should have said that before you said your thing. Yes. So I, I will just say the, the the diet advice you gave is horrible advice for. <laughs> <laughs> for yeah, it's not theological. <laughs> I guess you could say this: uh, live in the Christian freedom. There you go. <laughs> we don't have dietary laws. Right. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. This is Vicker. And may your diet, unlike your theology, be diverse and interesting. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.